Hello, and thank you for joining us with the Zephyr Literary Podcast. This is Rebecca Johnston, and today, for the first time, I have Tristan Myers joining me to interview local author Damon Thomas. Damon, thank you for joining us today. I'm hoping that we could start with you telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you grew up. Uh, yes, thank you for having me. My name is Damon Thomas, and I grew up in Dixie County, Florida, about an hour west of Gainesville. For the, you know, that it, it sounds like it would be in the Gulf of Mexico. It sounds like it would be some sort of Faulknerian construct, but it's an actual place you can visit. You just take uh, Newberry Road through Newberry, keep going, go through Trenton, go through Fanning Springs, and turn a little bit north, and you're in Dixie County. You cross the Swanee River. It's down there. Um, you know, I grew up specifically in a part of Dixie County called the Old Town Hammock. Um, it, it mainly matters to people that live there, all these little bits and pieces off Chavis Road near the end uh, where there's Willow Hole Road. The road was paved, so we had that going for us. The that is a big deal. Dust. Mm-hmm. Um, from that, you know, uh, in that time, I grew up mostly in um, what these trailers that came from around Tampa. I guess they changed the, the electricity code and they wouldn't hook them up to electricity more. So they hauled them north to us and we all lived in those. So I lived in those most of the time off trailer off uh, Chavis, we had about an acre. Um, and these kind of very swanky early 60s trailers, you know, so it looked very nice, but they also still had fuses in the original wiring, so they were death traps, but they were very swanky death traps. Um, I, I like that, swanky. It's a swanky death, death trap. I mean, you have to suffer for fashion, and they looked really nice. Uh, when true. I see old high school party photos, everybody's looking great in these places, you know, and it's like, huh, we're all alive somehow. I don't know how that happened. There you go, and you didn't die. So no. you went to school in Dixie County then? I did. I'm a product of the Dixie County educational system. I went to Old Town Elementary, and there's actually only two elementary schools, at least there was at the time. They both fed into what was then a combined middle and you know high school. And so you only went to two schools. And there was like the great uh, mergings that would happen where people would be freaked out when they got to seventh grade because here comes this other school of kids from Anderson Elementary. And then at ninth grade, there was like four or five people that would come from Steen Hatchie because they were K through eight. Oh. And so that was all the mergings. Um, I did go to um, Lake City, what was then Lake City Community College. I would do dual enrollment there. So once I hit, like we didn't have AP or IB or anything like that. And so we had to go take a bus an hour. And so I also went to Lake City Community College, now Florida Gateway College. So that's that's where I've got my learning, um, the, bulk, the bulk of the learning in the high school area. Nice. Okay. I was hoping that we could start out this discussion about you and your, your past with your short story, Casual Cruelty, because I, I, I really enjoyed that one. And I think it kind of sets a tone of, of how I imagine maybe school was like for you. Okay. Would you yes. be willing to give that one a read? I will. When I was in high school, the library was open before classes and during lunch. You could be in the library to read or check out books. Despite this, the sidewalk leading to the library was a restricted zone, and if you were seen on it, you'd be sent to the principal. Paddling was the usual penalty, even if you were 18 or older. Once I was inside reading the recently released Mouse, a group of guys seated at a nearby table made sure I knew they thought comics were baby stuff, even the harsh Holocaust memoir of Mouse. Since new books could not be checked out, I returned the next morning to finish reading. Mouse had been torn in half. It was later discarded. They never purchased another copy as I was in school. Casual cruelty has always been the point. I really like that. Yeah. It uh, was 
I would love to tie that into sort of your childhood experiences as a writer and, you know, was writing sort of like an escape for you from that type of behavior? You know, I, as, when I was young, I actually wrote quite a bit and, you know, but it would come in a lot of different forms. Like, you know, we try to start this band and we'd write really bad songs and I'd be <laughs> in charge of the lyrics and we'd record them, this album that just kept getting bigger and bigger. It's officially lost, although hopefully we do hope to find it one day. I'll, I'll make sure everyone hears it when I do. But it's called Atrocity, Atrocities of Aluminum Shed. And it was just us <laughs> and this guy's dad's aluminum shed with his ham radio. And, you know, we were just had like a broken, broken acoustic guitar and a bunch of other broken things. And we're writing these endless strings of songs. And so, you know, there's things like, oh, we're trying to do a comic book. It's Happy Man. It's going to be a guy called Happy Man where he accidentally defeats random villains and that sort of thing. Uh, that's that's also unfinished. Don't don't ask about that. That's a that's a sore point. Um, <laughs> you know, th this comic book there, it is finished. I have finished a book since then. That also lets me when people are talking about favorite comic book characters, I could actually say, well, Wolverine, you know, Wolverine's all right. But what about me? And so that sort of thing can happen. Nice. But it really wasn't so much escapism, just as something to do. I think people don't get how little there was to do in small town, rural North Florida pre-internet. We were an hour from anything. I where I lived off Chavis Road, it was a five mile walk to a Jiffy store, you know, and there was no cars, no nothing, no one had until we were old enough to drive. You know, everybody was just at home. I went to the flea market, you know, I went to the flea market on Saturday at the church on Sunday in the summer, and that was pretty much it. You know, you were just home. So all of this was just something to do, you know. So we were very active. There was bands. There was attempts at comic books. There was attempts at movies. There was attempts at this and that. We're always writing, kind of scribbling something. A lot of stories to tell. Yeah, actually, what well, that reminds me. What, what was the story we were talking about before we got here? Um, it's in your More Snakes Than People, the four education. I thought that one was so good. And... I did want to ask about the capybara. Is that like a real part of the story? <laughs> did you actually see that? This is all true. Everything I write is actually true. Um, a while back, someone actually asked me, you know, oh, is all of this true? And it's like, it's all true. And it's like, even, I mean, everything. It's like, yes, everything. It's like, even though your cousin has a skunk, cousin's got a skunk. It happens. You <laughs> know, for education, very true. It was McCormick's flea market, said chief of flea market back then. And I, you know, went with someone, they, they were buying a turtle. And, you know, it's first... You know, it's not actually legal to buy turtles. I don't know about now, but at least then it wasn't you know, due to salmonella and things or risk. You can only buy them for educational purposes. So they were dumping them on elementary kids, I guess, these uh, tainted turtles. You know, that was okay. You could haul them into your kids, but you couldn't have one at home. And so, you know, buying this illicit turtle, having just to write education for education on a piece of paper, that's all it really takes. And then you head back. Yeah, and they had a capybara in a waiting pool, which it's my understanding you can't have a capybara in Florida at all. Like they could escape into the Suwannee River and just swim around forever being happy and cool. But banned. We can't have that. No, that's not for education. I mean, it's pretty educational. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> I wonder if they have one at the zoo. We, we, we have to find out. Actually, I have no clue. I'm not it's sure. I've person. been to the zoo here at Santa Fe, but I don't remember oh, yeah, if there's yeah. a capybara. So mm. it you were writing and writing and writing as a child were mm -hmm. you writing when you were at uh, lake city community college what is now gateway uh i was yes actually the first thing i had published was actually from a class there and i had an interesting case to where i go and i actually start with freshman comp too i'm not sure how that worked i skipped the one went straight to the two it made sense at the time but it you know so we're doing kind of our analysis and our writing and things like that like the lit component 
And part of it was, you know, we're supposed to be writing a story about our home. And so I write this story about taking, basically, it's just uh, taking a midnight walk. So I take these midnight walks, and there's just lime rock roads. The moonlight would make mm -hmm. them glow. You'd hear animals and things, like growling and barking at you from the streets. And it was just a kind of, to me, it was kind of an interesting experience. So I write about that. At the time, there was a professor. She was there. It was a, Yvonne Sapia, who's a poet and a playwright herself. She, uh, you know, said that, you know, I've had hundreds of students from Dixie County. But you're the first person to actually write about Dixie County. You know, and I would see that a lot even now. People will write, you know, I'm writing a fantasy novel, I'm writing a this and that, but very little in the way. I think there's only one other person. He sort of writes fictionalized accounts of living near Steenhatchie. He's fancy up in Steenhatchie and technically Taylor County. So <laughs> not quite Dixie County. Yeah, I would but, I would say that too as, a, as an English professor. I don't see a lot of my students from Dixie, Levy, Gilcrest writing mm -hmm. about their own experiences. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it gets to be a little sad. I mean, there was a, a vice principal and, you know, his, he would give us this pep talk before haiku matches, before football uh, matches, before games, whatever. Just, this is his go-to pep talk. He might just give it and he sell you on the sidewalk. And he was talking about basically, you know, if you can't be a tree, be the best shrub you can be. And he would get really excited and start <laughs> jumping around and shaking his fists. And you wouldn't know what he was even talking about by the end. And then you realize, you know, times pass. And else he's basically saying, it's okay that you're terrible and small and pitiful. Just be as good as you can be. And that oh, no. was our pep talk. <laughs> and so I think there's sort of a kind of an insecurity, a thread that comes through. I think people, mm. you know, it's it's something that's like, I don't have a story to tell. There's nothing to tell here. But there's um, so much to tell. And I think you're a great example mm. of that, of, of letting people experience a life that they didn't experience. And also for those who do grow up in that area, being able to see their, their own experiences mirrored in yours, I think is, is validating and encourages them to to see their own worth, their own value? I do. I do think that, you know, basically it's, it's like, you know, as a general pep talk, I'm constantly trying to just tell people there is a story to tell. There is something there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we talk markets, people are very fond of talking markets. They're very talk about who'd want to read. At the time I lived there, it was 10,000 people. Now it's around 16,000. And, you know, it's like, who's going to read these things? And I've had, you know, some success. I've sold quite a few copies of various things. I've been, um, like number one on eight different Amazon category lists, you know, with books and comics and things. And, you know, sold far too many copies uh, based on what people would have expected for these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And really, it's just that it's, you know, kind of interesting and different. It's a it's a part that most people just drive through. Uh, people may know of Dixie County just from playing them as a high school football opponent. People know of Dixie County just from passing through and they'll stop at the Taste of Dixie Diner or something similar and eat fried chicken off the buffet. But it is kind of like um, the Pulp Common People song to where, you know, it's just like they're just passing through. This isn't their life. They don't know it. They don't know people mm -hmm. here. They don't know anything about the place. And so this is sort of a deeper dive. This is a lot of information for someone that spent a lot of time there and has my family arrived to the area around 1880. So, you know, they're uh, let's, let's say I've heard some stories about the place. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Uh, my family arrived in Florida about the same time, a few hours mm -hmm. west. We'll have to talk sometime. Okay. Um, so that's interesting. I'm, I'm wondering how you go about picking which stories you turn or which memory you end up turning into story. Because these are these are your your memories, the things you've lived. Mm -hmm. How do you sort out what makes a good story? Uh, you know, generally I'm interested. A lot of times I'm writing about things that have occurred, you know, a decade or more ago, sometimes 20, 30 years. And so it's the things that kind of catch. I don't really keep any kind of notes, journals, anything like that. It's just what stories pop up as interesting. 
Um, at times it'll be a case to where I'll just think about something and there'll be kind of, you know, an epiphany about the event. You know, it's like, well, at the time it seemed this way, but now, you know, I'm kind of coming to terms with it in a way that I feel like it's okay to share. Um, mm -hmm. Also at times, and this is kind of a strange thing, you know, I'll be asked by people, you know, are people terrified of you? Are they afraid you're going to write about them? I've actually only had one person ever say, don't write about me, ever. <laughs> and that was an odd, very minor thing I won't mention here because I'll get attacked. But it's it's, it's it was so mild, you, you wouldn't believe it. But uh, more often, people will say, hey, let's talk about that time my cousin pulled a gun on us. We went to Orlando to see Guar. Or, um, hey, let's talk about that time that, you know, we're all 16 and somehow we go to Gainesville and they, they let me get my nipples pierced. You know, and it's like, <laughs> it, it surprised us too. It surprised us too. We're like, how, is it, how are they letting us do this? We're kids. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you how that happened. I don't think any of the 16-year-olds out there need to hear. But <laughs> They've hopefully changed some laws since then. I believe they have um, yeah. from experience, sadly. Hey, they I have changed them. Mean streets of the 90s, anything goes. <laughs> Hardcore rules. So could you talk like a little bit about like how you go about writing these things? Like, your writing process and writing sure. this? Sure. You know, I, I actually kind of take uh, Kurt Vonnegut's advice here to where, you know, to paraphrase, you know, to, to heck with suspense, you know, people should be able to know what's going on if bugs eat the last few pages. And my general idea is that we all live in poetry. Um, but as we share these experiences, it's usually in prose. So I'm trying to get back to that original experience, the, the original poetry of the event. It's sort of deconstructing your personal narrative. Now, I came to this actually, you know, coming from kind of a small town where there's a very strong kind of oral tradition that goes. You know, everybody's grandpa is sitting around the country store with a name like Hickenbotham's or something similar, you know, telling stories to whoever will come by. And these stories have to be kind of short. They have to be pithy. I mean, those sweet potatoes don't put themselves on the ground. People have things to do. So they leave and head on off. So, you know, I found myself asking what stories would I tell in this situation you know as far as the stories go I also kind of have a, a different sort of view of of narrative um you know kind of inspired in part by say Alan Watts I believe it's the book uh, on the taboo against knowing who you are all 60s books had titles like that I think seem to work that way to where he tells a story of a cat and you're looking through a slat in a fence and you see the cat's head you see the cat's body you see the cat's tail and so people see that as kind of a cause and effect. Well, the head causes the body, causes the tail. When it's, in essence, it's all one cat. So my theory and how I generally try to work is that we all have one story, our story. Um, you know, as an idea here, getting back to the chief of flea market, I would go there and I would buy these kind of comics, the ROM, ROM the Space Knight. And so they were based on a toy I did not own. And I would read them completely out of order, just in random little bits. But they're all awesome. They're all great. You know, the error, the, the order of the structure, the information, the context, none of it really mattered. So I generally would say that I kind of find myself working, you know, uh, taking Baudelaire's advice to always be a poet, even in prose. Now, to get to get there, to get there, to kind of strip things away, I like to quote, uh, it's from the Stephen Mitchell translation of the Tao Te Ching, you know, can you wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Now, how will you settle your mud? There's a lot of different things I consider. Um, one being, you know, my dad lives over in Dixie County. Still, you know, he's a lifer. Uh, a bit ago, he hurt his ankle and he was walking with crutches, you know, and he walks outside of his front door and he ends up having to kill a rattlesnake with his crutches. 
And so, you know, it's kind <laughs> of the, Mm-mm. yeah, it's, it's a bad scene. It's a bad scene already. You're an hour from a hospital and here's a rattlesnake right outside your door. We already busted up on crutches. So, you know, it's sort of the reality of the situation. I try to be honest about growing up in a place like Dixie County, the, the Southern Gothic truths. You know, there are still places that when you walk barefoot, you can catch hookworm. You know, it's sort of, mm. that's the how it goes. I know there's there's movies like, you know, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Uh, you get things like, you know, kind of a quick paraphrase, not fairly spoiler-free, that, you know, when the legend becomes the truth, you print the legend. And I think a lot of people do that about small towns, especially Florida, where everybody talks about quaint and quirky. You know, it's kind of like uh, Errol Morris's Vern in Florida, which I'd recommend for a lot of people to watch, you know, where basically he's, he's actually going in and trying to make a movie about what was considered to be a lost limb insurance scam. They were actually, some people called the place Nub City. A big hunk of the insurance claims for lost limbs were in this tiny town in the panhandle. But when he's there, they started getting death threats. So he used all this B-roll footage to make a quaint, quirky Here's a guy that's obsessed with turkey hunting. Here's this guy that came here from, oh, Chicago or somewhere, something like that. Um, You know, and so that's what he ended up making. Also, you know, um, I also like to consider ideas of, I was actually at the late 90s. It exists now. It was a bit different, but there was a place called the Hardback Cafe, which is a big punk club, and it closed in the late 90s and ended with a giant riot. Uh, (laughs) So during the riot, I actually somehow got like the contact information of a lady. Now, first... If anyone ever tells you, you know, that that they don't have a date to the, the, you know, the cotillion or what have you because they were busy rioting. No, riot flirting is definitely a thing and you can definitely do it. It's happened. I can, I've got my proof. But but we so, do not encourage students to no, participate no, yes, no, no, in riots. Don't riot. <laughs> but if you do, love can be found in the riot. But, you know, from there. If someone were to ask me about detail, if someone were to ask me about how much detail I would have about this night, not very much. It was a mess. You probably find pictures in the Gainesville Sun's archive. There's big fires everywhere. People are stealing the pool table. It was a mess. So with that, I kind of get to the idea of how we go back and often kind of narrate our own stories. We kind of curate our stories. We kind of fix and add in the bits. Oh, it must have been this kind of ideas of um, Nassim Nathan Taleb's Black Swan Theory to where he has a case to where, you know, there's a big major kind of event that occurs. And so then people go back and try to explain it and with the advantage of hindsight. And so me personally, the weird thing there is excessive details often considered a sign of prevarication. If a cop pulls you over and you've got a really long story, they're not going to believe it and they're probably going to arrest you. Um, <laughs> with that, you know, what do writers do? I was eight years old. I was at my grandma's house i awoke to the smell of lilacs a a mosquito bite itched the back of my left knee it's just too much it's just too much (laughs) strip it down folks strip it down i I worked at a job once where they had a thing that came in and it was sort of like an intern evaluation and one of the questions which i really liked was you know asking if a person worked well with ambiguity and so life is ambiguity. You know, we're all dealing with Clausewitz's fog of war. We don't really know what's going on. You know, uh, if you're really honest, you know, you're working with something like the Socrates advice is all I know is I don't know. Um, the third thing, the last thing I'll mention that I do like to work with here is is general ideas, you know, based on kind of like the late the late sto- uh, Stoic from Rome, you know, the Roman Empire as Epictetus. And so you have ideas of... It's not the things that bother us. It's our thoughts about the things. 
And so, you know, this is the kind of premise that's worked where modern therapy techniques like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy to try to get the cognitive dissonance uh, distance with the uh, events, to be able to write about mm -hmm. them without them being kind of colored, uh, especially as a teen, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I was guilty of it. I think many might have the problems. You know, I kind of awfulized all of these things that now in hindsight, you know, I'm, you know, the, the wound stings a bit less, but with mm -hmm. time and consideration and kind of honest consideration of what the events were, um, I can contextualize them better. Yeah, I think, that's, um, I think that's very Hemingway-esque, right? He wrote about all of his his experiences in World War One, um, mm -hmm. but it had it needed a little bit of time, right? A Farewell to Arms came out in 1929, whereas mm -hmm. you know, of course, the war had ended over tw ten years before. So, yeah, I, I I like that idea that we need a little bit of time and distance so that we can think of what our thoughts are and how to mm -hmm. present them. Yeah, a little bit more clearly. Yeah, I like. It'll, how it'll you always that. be a case of your mud settling, you know, to finding. It's sort of a thing to where when I first started writing at Lake City Community College, you know, I could only write about these things with, you know, literary devices, you know, with like illusion, allegory, metaphor. And now I'm just like, well, stepdad drank himself to death. So, you know, you need to find a way to write what you previously could not write. I like that. I like that. Um what do you prefer writing? We've we've got here on our, our desk, um I Tristan's been reading your your graphic novel, and I I've got your short story collection. What do you prefer to do? What style? You know, to me, it's all stories. It's all storytelling, and I find that each different story. Uh, it's interesting to where I actually write, and this is a thing I actually, you know, and I'll share this information later. I actually start to write scripts that I'm planning to record. Um, I have like a Bandcamp thing with I don't know, like 24 albums. I don't even know too many, too many. Um, but with that, you know, so. It, it kind of a thing to where it's like everything that I'm writing first comes as something that I plan to read. And I do think that helps too as a process because you get a case where, you know, it's sort of like you're considering something that you can read. So it's in your own voice, in your own words, you know, it's, it's you, it's more, there's more some mm -hmm. you-ness there. So I actually prefer those. I actually like the kind of spoken word uh, elements. Now the writings are good. If you're going to events, you know, the writings rule, that's what you have. People want a book. They want something they could see. Uh, I guess it's easier to read on the toilet than all the spoken word things. That's fine. The comic, very interesting too, because, you know, I've worked with um, an artist here in Jacksonville, Nick Duncanstein, and it's a case to where it's, it's actually a series of diptychs to where I'm telling my story and the other is actually say art that tells the same story. It's kind of a, you know, I know in writing they say show don't tell. And so the art is showing the story in a different way, but they're both telling the same story. Um, all, you know, all it's interesting and all it's fun to me as far as things like that, you know, I would eventually like to get back to Dixie County with sort of like a photo essay approach to it, actual photos of the place paired with mm. stories. But it's, you know, to me, uh, as far as preferred medium, it's it's all the same story. It's all the same story, my story. And I like that. And I also love that you, you talked about the importance of hearing you in it, your voice. I think students tend to feel that they need to shove that down um, and not have that, that sense of where they came from or who they are. Um, but really, that's, that's what distinguishes the story is, is you and your experiences. Yeah, people break out the thesaurus and things go bad fast. Just <laughs> language, you know, it's just, just how you speak. Who are you? What do you say? How do you talk? You know, it's, it's just like uh, if you would never say anthropomorphic, don't don't try to use it in writing. And definitely don't read it. That's a mess, you know. If it's something you don't normally say, 
I can read my stuff actually fairly easy. I read at events. I just read at a St. Augustine Poet Fest. I'll be reading at um, kind of a, a poetry anthology release coming up soon. And I can read my stuff fairly easily. If I try to read anyone else's stuff, oh, it's bad. It's bad. Do you find that helpful, The all these groups that you're in, these these um, places where you can go and do group readings, um, working with other artists, has that helped build you as a writer? You know, it's good. It's good. It helps. Um, you know, I get I get good feedback that way. I'm there's a um, Jacksonville's a very big city. It's a bit over a million people, and we have a very kind of fractured uh, community. I'll head down to St. Augustine, so they've got their fairly unified poet group at St. Augustine. They have their yearly poet fest. Um, here there'll be all these different groups. I usually attend kind of the umbrella events. You know, there's a, a local big thing that happens. They're getting ready to have their tenth event called Jacks by Jacks which is sort of the umbrella event for all of the different writers. Um, the, but, you know, it is good to kind of talk. It's more of a, it's more of kind of a community conviviality sort of situation. I, I, I'm kind of, uh, you know, not so big on writers groups and writers circles. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of times I know it's, it's an unpopular opinion as far as those, I will give the occasional workshop, but never attend them to myself. Was it H.O. Minkin said he didn't, like to attend lectures because he didn't like the people that went to lectures, something like that. <laughs> I think it was something like that. Uh, you know, I think, I think I like to, but I think really what I'm trying to get to is I like to do my thing my way. Uh, it mm -hmm. sounds kind of, you know, there's a lot of people that will tell me, Oh, I was actually told once at a workshop that I should change the endings of some of my stories that were too sad because nobody would want to read that. And it's like, well, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. So I'm keeping it this way, but you'll get that in, in various workshops to where it's sort of like, you know, oh, people, these three people say you should do something out of the five. So that's majority rules you got to change. And it's like, just do your own thing to thy own self. Be true and what have you. I like that. Uh, I think we're actually running out of time. Um, Tristan, did you have anything else you want to ask before <laughs> I, I cut poor Damon off? Uh, no, I did want to talk about how you mentioned how you write like in a direct approach. And uh, I think that's so important, too, because I think oftentimes we view poetry as this complicated thing, and mm -hmm. really it could just be so simple. There, There is a uh, another translation of the Tao Te Ching. It's, only, it's a short interview, so I can only mention two translations of the Tao Te Ching here. It's uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. And in the intro, she actually talks about how it's part in poetry, it's part in verse and part in prose, but the whole thing by the modern conceptions is poetry as a pattern intensity of language and so if you really consider you know where we are and what we're doing look at uh, go to lake alice as an example where the bats are coming into the back house you know how do you actually literally describe that you know it kind of turns and we're using words in such a way as sort of the expressionist use a pointillist use to when you you just see dots but when you actually look at say a river with the water shining on it it appears to our eyes as dots so it's kind of like a an unlearning a getting back to the original mm -hmm. experience you know it's sort of we experience the poetry of it but getting back to it's very hard and i think that the pieces i've liked best were the things that i feel get back to that, you know, that like, this is it. This is what happened. This is it and nothing else. This is exactly what happened. At least, you know, as far as I say. <laughs> I, I like that. So we are running out of time, mm -hmm. um, but I was hoping we could close with a few things. I, I would love if you could um, let our listeners know where they can find your writing um, online or in person 
And then I was hoping you'd do us all a wonderful favor by closing with your story about um, the parenting class at Dixie County with the flower okay. babies. Okay, yes, yes. So uh, as far as my finding and stuff, I have uh, quite a few spoken word albums. I've got a kind of anthology book on Amazon. Some books are not for sale, but that particular book is, but some aren't. Um, a comic as well, More Snakes Than People. And uh, if you just go to ruralgloom.com, R-U-R-A-L gloom, G-L-O-O-M, dot com uh, coming from a small town it actually makes it to where irony of ironies you're not able to pronounce the word rural it sounds like some kind of dog-based pokemon but it's ruralgloom.com and then you can find kind of links i made the website in five minutes and it's obviously had like over a hundred thousand hits it's very weird wow. if people say that nobody likes websites people like websites take mm -hmm. my word for it and i can read something here i learned many things at dixie county high school there was a class called life management one week we brought in five pound sacks of flour. For two weeks we were to carry this around as our baby. It needed to return intact to get a grade, but tape could be used for repairs. So the first night I wrapped my Piggly Wiggly brand flour baby in two rolls of duct tape, added a face, glued on some orange hair. Five pounds became eight. They grow up so fast. Over the next week we tossed this tape baby against brick walls. No harm was done. Parenting came naturally, it seemed, until we decided to drop Junior out a car window while heading down County Road 55A. It dropped off the road and out into a field. We searched, but never found that sack of flour. It might be out there still. The next morning, I told my teacher what had happened. Baby went out the window. It was lost in a field. She just stared. Told me not to tell anyone else the story. <laughs> I still got full credit, though. No one expected much of parents back then. <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness. I love that one. Thank you, Damon, for sharing that. Thank Thanks you. for having me. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the example you give for local students of, of uh, the value of their stories. And I You've hope got that, a story, tell it. That's right. I hope everyone can go check out ruralgloom.com and follow up with some of your short stories. You have a great day. You too. Thanks.